Hi, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast Season 2, and I'm your host, Beth Fuller. This is a podcast dedicated to all things food, from recipe ideas to interviews with chefs, producers, purveyors, farmers, and people who just love culinary adventures like myself. So join us here on Fridays to explore the world through the lens of food, and together we can share some yummy food, some laughs, and I welcome you here at my table always. And if you're ready, let's go on a food adventure together starting right now. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Food Adventures Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Fuller, and this is episode seven, season two. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for being here. If you're not, thank you for coming back. Okay, so don't take notes. I've taken notes. Go to my website for absolutely everything, elizabethrfuller.com, and while you're there, check out my amazing photography. I'm a food product photographer. It's what I do for a living. So if you need any photos, I'm your gal. If you have questions for the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, if you need culinary sleuthing of any kind, send me an email. Let's go on a food adventure at gmail.com. And of course, tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. All right, you guys, let's do this. Let's go on a food adventure. All right. So guess what, guys? It's still freaking cold outside. Yes. Yes. It's still so cold. I'm not going to sit here and whine about it. I'm not going to do that to you. Just know that in my heart, (laughs) I'm whining. I'm whining in my head. I've already tried to like not be Oscar the Grouch um, and tried to record this a couple of times. And every time I just go down this big spiral hole of me bitching about how cold it is and how much I want it to be warm. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Because, uh, you know, your girl likes to talk about the weather with you. I'm not going to do that. I am going to say that I'm trying to be very positive. <laughs> I know this wasn't very positive, but I am. I'm trying to be very positive about, you know, and being very mindful about where I am right now in terms of like weather and experience, but also kind of like daydreaming about what am I going to do when it gets warmer out? Like where, what, and what I mean by that is we have, as you guys know, or maybe you don't know, um, Todd, my husband, Todd, has made me, us, four raised beds in the side of our house. And so I started daydreaming about like, what am I going to plant this year? It's always, I'm always on the struggle bus about this because whether you know it or not, I've been, um, really a professional plant killer now for the last 41 years of my life and really, really taking it very seriously in how well I'm, I'm versed at killing plants, um, probably in the last 20 years. And every year I try so hard with the best intentions to grow things in my garden. And every year, well, some things, some things do survive despite my best efforts to um, kill them, but and not on purpose. I don't kill these plants on purpose. No, 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 no. It is all by accident and by uh, too much love. I'm like, if you if you can picture the little kid in a cartoon that gets the puppy and then like squeezes the puppy because the puppy is so cute and like the puppy's eyes are just like, boing, 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 boing. you know what I'm talking about? Okay, great. So I'm like that with gardening that I just like squeeze 
place the plants with so much love and maybe I overwater them. Maybe I talk to them too much. Can you believe that? I don't think so. Maybe I overfeed them with too much shit in it. I don't fucking know. But every year, no fail, I managed to kill some stuff. So this year, <laughs> I am attempting to do a little more planning because of some conversations that I've had with some guests in the past about how to grow things a little bit better. So I thought, wouldn't it be fun to do, and in case you missed it episode, highlighting a few of the conversations I had last year with people who are much better at growing things than me because maybe you too are dreaming of warmer weather and trying to start buying seeds, planting your garden, or maybe you're more of an expert and already have the garden already started somewhere in your house. I don't know. But either way, together, we're going to go on this mini food adventure, diving into a few gardening tips and tricks from a few past episodes. So let's get into this. From season one, episode 15, Shani from Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. I love it. So should we dive into a couple of listener questions? And by a couple, I mean a lot because everyone wanted to talk to you today. Well, this was exciting because this is also part of what I do for Baker Creek. I'm one of a, a big team. I'm one member of a big team of people that answer customer gardening questions. Oh, I um, love it. I do a little bit less every year because I'm doing more of the catalog writing, mm-hmm. but I, um, you know, at various points, that's been like the full-time gig, you know, just answering people's Questions. Endless questions, I'm sure. All right. Awesome. Because it makes you a better gardener because you're like, sometimes you really got to dive deep or like research, reach out to other gardeners and be like, wait a minute, this person's having this problem. I've never seen it before in my life, you know? I love it. That's awesome. All right. So Raquel in New Hampshire asks, I want to grow some easy veggies on my deck, but I only get morning sun. Are there any that I could try that would still work? Absolutely. So low sun gardening is possible. Now plants do, you know, <laughs> they like, they eat sun, <laughs> you know, they, they eat the sun. Um, that's how they, they fuel and that's how they get their energy. So low sun is a relative term. Some people say that just, you know, four hours is low sun. Some people say like one hour of exposure is low sun. So mm-hmm. I hope she gets some sun, you know, a few hours, mm-hmm. but, um, low sun, uh, crops can be things like lettuce. They can be, um, Swiss chard is a great one for low sun Swiss chard beets. Um, I'm a huge beet fan. The beet mm-hmm. is my spirit vegetable. Um, so beets, lettuce, Swiss chard. Um, I've grown peas in pretty low sun. And if it, if you don't get the pods, you'll like, you at least get the tasty shoots. Oh, they're the best. <clears throat> they're almost better than the pods. I'm not going to lie. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And even carrots can, you know, you might find that they're not uh, going wild for you, but you could get some carrots in, some, in a low sun garden. So, and again, that term's relative. So I, she might have more sun than I'm understanding, but I'm giving mm-hmm. her the, the I love thing. it take the Ra- lowest. Yeah. Raquel can get a little salad going. So Raquel, go make your salad girl. I love it. Um, Tanya in Oregon asks, I started a garden last year and ended up with, an, speaking of lettuce, an insane amount of lettuce in the beginning. There are only so many salads I want to eat. <laughs> Do you have any good <laughs> recipes besides salad for lettuce? Oh, that's a great one. I love that. <laughs> um, so 
there i want to also suggest tanya um you can also you know you can branch out to other greens i'm sure she knows that <laughs> and try succession planting where you sow um small patches of seeds every few weeks you can do about every 14 every 7 to 14 days with lettuce you could be sowing fresh seeds so that you have fresh lettuce but back to the question at hand alternative lettuce recipes beyond salads many people do not know that you can actually Many people do not know that you can actually cook lettuce. <laughs> there are some really great Ooh, yeah. Asian style um, stir fried lettuce recipes. So a little bit of sesame oil, um, some chilies, if you like spicy, um, mm -hmm. some chilies, some sesame oil, some toasted sesame seeds, a little ginger, a little, and lots of garlic. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of my favorites, a stir fried lettuce recipe. Works especially well with things like romaine. but. Um, any lettuce, you could do a stir fried lettuce recipe. So that's one way to get cooked lettuce um, happening. And then uh, you can always do cups, you know, if, if it's depending on the variety. Yeah, if you've got that's a good point. A, um, a thicker leaf, then you could do things like cups and spring rolls, you know, wraps, mm -hmm. um, open face kind of open face kind of, you know, burrito bowls almost. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to just treat my lettuce. I like, I, I love to do salads and I love to just get off the wall with my salads, you know, sweet salads and savory salads. Mm -hmm. and, um, but you can also just let them serve as a bed, um, just a good fiber base for a layered scenario, like, you know, like a burrito bowl of sorts, but in with a big crunchy layer of lettuce at the bottom. So Lots of options. And then Those of course, are great ideas. I'm hungry. And I mean, it's 11 15 when we're talking, but now I'm like, I want some lettuce and it's not warm up here today in the Boston area. <laughs> oh, well, hopefully some farmers have lettuce going because it is very cold tolerant. Yeah. Yeah. To be in a high tunnel, you know, growing in a greenhouse. Totally. No. And they do. And there's actually a couple of really good farms in Rhode Island that have made the ones called like little leaf farm or something. They make this super duper crunchy style like little leaves of lettuce hence little leaf farm but anyway we digress but i'm going to oh. now make something today because i'm starving and crunch sounds great all right our next question comes from carrie from facebook and she writes i have a raised bed garden in my yard and it gets pretty okay sun what is with these people with pretty okay sun or <laughs> light sun so funny. i know but they're trying i know right and it gets pretty okay sun throughout the day some things grow like herbs and lettuce late summer tomatoes but a lot of things don't seem to do well do you have any tips for keeping a raised bed garden well, here's the thing. I think that I think her issue is the sun and not the raised bed part. Mm. I think. Um, so I would say defer to some of our shade loving um, suggestions that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then raised bed gardening in general, say it is the raised bed issue and not the soil issue or not the sun issue. Um, raised beds are pretty much a recipe for success as long as the bed is deep enough so that your roots can really explore. So, and if she's growing good late summer tomatoes, she's probably got a deep enough bed. Um, putting good quality uh, compost and, and uh, raised bed mix in your beds is, is essential. That's pretty much it. I mean, consistent watering is really important with your raised beds. Mm -hmm. But um, aside from that, I, I think her issue is probably sunlight and then she'll probably want to defer to more shade loving crops and also 
possibly see if she can open up a little more sunlight and she do a little pruning on maybe her trees mm, or something. That's a good idea. And how deep should the raised bed garden be? At least 12 inches. Um, I don't like to make bed beds more shallow than 12 inches, but they're great when they're 18 inches, um, 24, you know, when you're getting into like 18 and 24 inches, that's a lot of room for your plants to, for your plants roots to explore. Mm -hmm. Especially those like beets and the carrots and the veggies that do dig deep that you need that, yeah. that space for. Oh, that's great. Great suggestions. Nicole from Instagram asks, how can I prevent my veggies and herb plants from getting sick? Well, that answer, unfortunately, is complicated because it's a case-to-case basis. Mm -hmm. I will tell you a major contributor of illness in plants is low air circulation because when we crowd our plants, which is a pretty common newbie gardener mistake, Uh we, we are really killing off the air circulation. And guess what? Mold and fungus loves poor air circulation. It loves stagnant mucky air that isn't yep so if you are having lots of issues of disease and fungus and that's what's making your plants sick which is often the case it may be that your plants are just planted a bit too close together and the air just isn't flowing between them (laughs) how much air should be flowing between them Well, what you're going to want to do is defer to every Baker Creek and say, all right, she might not be growing Baker Creek, but every seed packet that you get from Baker Creek, um, it's going to have a little growing chart on the side Uh, and it's going to tell you ideal plant spacing. And so you want (laughs) to defer to those suggestions because that, (laughs) I wrote that chart and I knew like, you know what, I'm going to that people are really given the good spacing because we all crowd them in too close. I think I planted one bed yesterday. And with my uh, fiance and he's like, let's put the tomatoes in at a foot and a half. And I was like, back it up. <laughs> We're going to be in disease city in a month's time. Oh my God. Face like, those put down that shovel. Go yeah. I, I put it down. Cause I know <laughs> it's going to get crazy diseased if you crowd them too much. And then their foliage from here's talk about a recipe for disaster. You've got one diseased tomato and its foliage is growing and starting to rub up on the neighboring tomato. Oh. Guess you're passing around your disease. Like, <laughs> like a bad hot. tea party from the seventies. Yeah. Let's try to cut down on that by giving it more. Oh, I love it. Great suggestion. So moral of the story, everybody. Don't crowd your garden and follow the chart in the back of the seed packets. They're there yep. for a reason. All right. Riley in New Jersey asks, should I really plant marigolds with tomatoes? And are there other plants that help a garden thrive? Yeah. Companion planting is not a myth and it is not overrated. Companion planting is awesome. What she's, she's basically saying, you know, marigolds and tomatoes, they do play well together. They, certain plants have a, have certain qualities that will either repel or mm-hmm. attract certain insects. That's a big reason to companion plant. So if you're companion planting your tomatoes with your marigolds, you're bringing in a lot of really incredible, those marigold flowers, they are, um, 
they're strong in scent. They're bringing, they're, they're luring in beneficial insects that are going to help keep your tomatoes healthy. They might help in predation of um, some of your garden, your garden pest insects. Um, they're going to maybe help keep your plants um, more, um, yeah, yeah, more free of pests. Mm -hmm. They're also, um, you know, really need help with pollination with your tomatoes because they're self-pollinating, but um, beneficial, uh, so, Plants that ha that attract beneficial insects will also attract pollinators. You need pollinators to um, pollinate your flowers so that your plants will set fruit. So there's so many reasons to companion plant and interplant, and mostly it's to just attract good bugs. That's a that's one of the biggest reasons. There are other um, nuanced reasons to do companion planting, but um, and there's lots of books on companion planting, and mm. they've got lots great suggestions. And some of it is garden myth, you know, um, but there, uh, the, the chief reason is to bring on beneficial insects. And I mean, I've been to massive tomato or massive organic tomato farms out in California. And these guys have growing tomatoes organically and healthily in down to an exact science. So they're not going to be doing any folklore myth kind of mm -hmm. practices. They're going to be going straight science right from the university. And you'll see those massive organic farms. They've got banker um, plantings, which is basically they'll, they'll plant a perimeter around their miles of tomatoes mm -hmm. and in between their, and in between their tomatoes of, um, of flowering plants that attract beneficial insects. So it is, it's, it's scientifically verified. It's, it's legit. I love it. I love it. I went to um, a winery in Tuscany and I noticed that they had these beautiful roses in the front of every uh, like vine run. And I asked the, the owner and I said, why do you have the roses there? And it, kind of for the reason you're talking about, and he's like, you want the, the, when you see the roses start to get sick or start looking bad, then you know that the vines are going to get whatever the roses have. So you have a chance to see ah, grapes. Um, and I was like, oh my God, that's genius. I thought it was just aesthetic. And he's like, no, no, no. It's basically what you're saying in a different way, like companion planting with that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's fascinating. And this question kind of leads back into Riley's question, but Tan from Instagram asks, is there a rule when it comes to designing your vegetable garden, what veggies and herb plants should be planted together with what plants? um rules boy i hate the word rules i know i will no one <laughs> i don't hold you rules. to them don't worry yeah there's no rules um i i love experimenting i think that most people learn what to do and what not to do from having fun and experimenting but there are great books out there on companion planting that i would defer to because i mean rules rules that's i mean there's so many there yeah. are a lot of good there are a lot of good guidelines to follow. Like, you know, um, a big one with companion planting and choosing is, is to consider the size, you know, the size of the mature plant. So, you know, don't companion plant something that's going to shade out your other crop, mm -hmm. you know, uh, make sure to be cognizant that like things like allium plants, which are onions and garlic and um, shallots, those crops, they can't take competition from other plants. They don't, they don't grow well if they're in the competition of other, of their plants. So if you grow alliums with a particularly aggressive plant, um, they're not going to perform well. Um, that said, if you plant alliums like garlic, garlic chives, shallots, 
um, onions, if you plant them around things like brassicas, which are anything in the cabbage family, cabbage, kohlrabi, broccoli, mm-hmm. cauliflower, pak choy, bok choy, all those turnips. Um, eh, I could just like list the brassicas. Oh no, I'm like so, <laughs> you, you can see my face right now. I'm just like staring at you no. with like, my hands underneath my chin. Like, oh no, keep talking girl. I love it. Go on. Um, onions and brassicas, the cabbage family members, they play well, really, you know, they play together really well. And that's because onions, as we all know from our breath after eating garlic, onions are super pungent. And so Mm -hmm. they are really, really, really repulsive and repugnant to, or they're, they're really repulsive to a lot of um, predator insects that like to attack cabbages. So we keep our alliums around to keep our cabbage pests at bay oh that's fascinating maybe what you can do is offline you can suggest a couple of your favorite companion planting books and i'll add them on the show notes because i'm sure this is the tip of the iceberg but it's fascinating yeah people really love learning about companion planting and indeed a garden just looks more alive when you're doing more interplanting and companion planting Mm -hmm. um I just had the pleasure of checking out um, a fantastic kitchen garden in Orlando, Florida. Um, and it's a, it, it's a big like seed to uh, seed to table garden where they have like a culinary institute attached. And so you're mm. a culinary, it's not an institute, it's like a culinary experimental um, house. And so they'll so be cool. Yeah, it was really cool. It's called the edible education experience. It's connected with Emeril Lagasse's foundation. Mm. Um, I visited there and he was doing so much companion planting. It was so cool. It was like nasturtiums with everything and um, just lots and lots of interplanting and companion planting and things were just looking more abundant and pest pressure was way down. Mm -hmm. Um, Beneficial insects were way up. So this is the kind of diverse garden that we're really looking for, you know, no monocultures, please. Thank you. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Awesome. And get your nasturtiums and marigolds people. From season one, episode 38, Linda from Tangerini's Farm. Uh, Davina from Instagram asks, do you ever switch out the vegetables you grow? Are there any new ones you're going to try next year? Absolutely. Good question, Davina. Um, So we totally, um, we're always looking at every single year where we we look, we get all the seed catalogs that we usually purchase from and then some that we've never purchased from before and, and we'll flip through them. It's kind of like our December little, uh, you know, let's call it a date night. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're so, those seed catalogs are so pretty with the pictures. Like I get Baker yeah. Creek and a couple others and flipping through and seeing, oh my gosh, you're like, I just, I want it. I want it all. I do. I want, yeah. I want you have yeah. the acreage at least, but yeah. So we, we talk to other farmers, um, farming, especially in Massachusetts and New England is such a, there's such a really great community of, of farmers. So, um, a lot of us are, you know, collaborating and, Hey, have you tried this? How did it work out? What do you think about that? And, um, so we're, we're always kind of pulling information from each other and then, um, and looking through all of the different catalogs and talking to, talking to our vendors what's new do you you know anything like that that 
is catching our eye. Um, and then we talk to each other and our staff too. Sometimes some of our staff are like, hey, could we grow this? And, uh, and we're like, you know what, let's give it a shot. Let's plant like a small section of it and, and we'll give it a go. And we hadn't planted honeydew melons here um, since we had started. Uh, and I had been pestering my husband. Um, <laughs> and I feel like I'm craving melon right now, honey. We need, literally, we need some honeydew melons. We do cantaloupes and watermelons and everything like that. But I was like, I just really want a good honeydew. And uh, so last year was the first year we started growing honeydew and he's been, he's been won over. So, uh, so yeah, so now we, we definitely, we we've added honeydew and um, we definitely try out different different things every year i would say at least at least something um every year just to see how it moves and um and all of our crops are rotated in terms of like planting location every year as well we we my husband keeps a really good record in terms of you know where everything gets planted and um what then subsequently can't go there because you know even three years ago we planted this there so wow years until you can put that back and um, and he's very, very specific with crop rotation and all of that. So that's uh, why you're so successful too. One of the reasons like to be that dialed in and organized, you, you just, as somebody who's a consumer, you don't, it, you can't wrap your mind around. It's literally not just putting things in the ground, watering them and tending to them. There's so much behind the scenes going on in this large operation. Absolutely. That's- yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Do you guys have a lot of seed saving then? Um, so we actually don't do any seed saving, um, mm. just because, I mean, there's a number of different reasons to do so and to do it on the scale that we would need and to do it successfully. Um, you'd really want to be saving the seeds, then testing for germination rates to confirm that when you actually need it and, you know, that's got to go in the ground that it's actually going to germinate at the rate that you and the percentage mm-hmm. that you get to. Um, you've got to be pretty meticulous about it. Um, and this time of year when we would be saving certain seeds from some crops, we just, there aren't enough hours in the day. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. No, it's, that's so funny. I mean, that's, Hey, you know, it makes a lot of sense because you depend on the vegetables growing. It's not like a home garden where, we can just put stuff in our raised bed and be like, nah, it didn't work. Oh, well, I'll go to, I'll go to Tangerini's and pick it up. You know, like you guys need this to work without question. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Howie in Massachusetts asks, I love the idea of having a vegetable garden, but honestly kind of fail at doing it each year. Would you, or do you offer gardening classes? So we, we have in the past, we've done some, uh, we did some, I mean, most of the years that we've been here, we've done a couple different types of, uh, of gardening classes, except with the exception of last year and this year. The pandemic, yeah. Uh, so uh, we've done like a backyard gardening class where we'll help people in, in the early in like May and April kind of plan out their their gardening beds and plot plan where you're going to put stuff and how much space do you need? How many tomato plants do you actively need to be growing for, you know, what you're trying to get out of your tomatoes? Uh, You know, 
maybe 15 is a lot if you're not planning it. Well, you see the whole seed packet, right? Like I'm so guilty of this and you get the seed packet and you're like, "Eh, those are kind of small. I'm just going to dump them all in. And then it comes up. I'll I'll text you a picture of what my raised beds look like now. Those tomato plants are taller than I am and I'm five, five on a good day. And they are so packed in. So yes, everyone listen to Linda. She's preaching the truth. You don't need 15 tomato plants in one raised bed corner. That's, um, that's several. Yeah. You might, uh, you'd actually probably do better with weaning some of those out for sure. Um, uh, and so we've taught like classes like that. We've also taught, you know, classes in terms of, um, uh, making uh arrangements for um oh my gosh what i'm trying to say window boxes and stuff oh, like sure that. yeah and um and things like that we've taught and then i've taught a whole slew of classes on um different aspects of cooking um for until we bought the farm um and even after that we still ran a pretty regular schedule on on culinary classes um in 2019 and then obviously last year and this year we mm-hmm. have but um I did a lot of different seasonal cooking classes and uh just based on what we were harvesting for the season I would run a cooking class based on that type of mm. um whatnot um we, I also did kids cooking classes with um we did basically probably two a month um an adult class and a kids class um one every month wow. so for most of the season. That's a ton of work. It was fun. And I love seeing that like aha moment when somebody in the kitchen is like, oh my gosh, that's how you do it. It actually worked. Yeah. And um, one of my favorites was like, we, we did, uh, it was so popular that we've used to do probably like three different pie classes right around Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so many people are like, I just want to make pie crust, but it never comes out right. Mm. And it's once you get it, it's so easy. Um, but I, it's it can be tricky, and then you're second guessing yourself. And do I go all butter or shortening or half and half? And uh. yeah, and if you overwork the dough, forget about it. Like it literally. Yeah, I agree with you. And it there it, once you you're you're right. Once you do get it, it's magic. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. Awesome. Well, Howie, keep your eye out. <laughs> Shy, this is the cutest question on the planet. Shiloh from Instagram, age six. The mom included that. I know. My mom is helping me write this. We love the farm and I love animals. I know you have chickens and ducks. Will you have any more animals? So uh, we do have chickens and ducks. We have uh, we have 40 chickens or so. Um, and then we have five ducks. And we do have two goats. Uh, their names are Butter and Tabasco. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Um, so we get um, chicken and duck eggs and the goats are just there for, you know, hangout. Aesthetic, yeah. Um, they're awesome and they're super personable. Um, so uh, we used to do pigs. Um, every year we'd get in about 10 pigs. And then in the fall, we say they go to a retirement community. They do. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but um, since we purchased the farm, we haven't brought back and gotten more pigs um, because we need, we've, my husband and I have decided that we would love to do it 
but uh, we need to build an actual space for them with uh, a permanent fence that that they could be in year round, um, you know, every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have um, in the years past, it's just been a temporary movable deer fencing that's used. Oh, geez. An electric fence that they can and always find a way to root under at some point and escape. Yeah. And, and they're free range pigs. You know, me at like five, five chasing down a 250 pound animal is just, it is hysterical. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see it. <laughs> I would, I'll pay money to watch that, but it's nothing you feel like doing any longer. Yeah. Um, I really, I can't imagine myself doing it this year with no. a big old belly and, uh, being pregnant. So, no. um, no. so yeah, so we decided that we were done with that for a little while and we would we would revisit it once we were able to actually build like a more substantial fenced in area for the for the pigs um other than that i don't know that we will really get into too many other animals i don't really see us ever doing like cows or no you need tons of space for that too and you got i mean you have tons of space but yeah it's a whole different and that's a whole different different animal (laughs) there you go one for Linda on the punny scale. <laughs> this past week, I made a cantaloupe, a spiced cantaloupe tea cake. Uh, Yum. Like who cooks with cantaloupe? I, just, I want to now. That sounds delicious. So good. And uh, it was just because I was like, I'm talking about cantaloupe in the newsletter. And all I'm going to say is like, it's delicious. Just eat it. But then I was like, wait, there's, let me see what else I can do with this. Yeah. And, uh, it was so good. So oh, you'll have to share the recipe if you want to. I'll put it in the show notes for everybody. Um, I'm always trying to find new ways to use things that we're growing. One of the things that I absolutely love that took a couple of years to convince Steve to grow. <laughs> um, uh, he's, he's very much the rational thinker in this relationship. Sure. Um, and I love him for that dearly. Uh, so when I ask him to grow certain things, he's like, but is it going to sell? Um, You're like, I don't care. I want it. I want it. I'm your wife. Plant it for me. Yeah, Um, pretty much. (laughs) So we started growing patty pan squash this Mm. year. And um, from like the culinary background, I always loved cooking with it. Uh, It definitely it's for those of you that aren't familiar with patty pan squash. It's kind of like a it falls into the category of summer squash zucchini type of deal. Um, but it looks almost like flying saucers. Yeah, they're so cool. And if you let them grow too big, they will keep growing they're, like dinner plates. Yeah, they get they get large. Yeah. Um, so typically, you pick them when they're you know about the size of your palm or smaller, and uh, and they're super tender and tend to be a little drier than like a summer squash or a zucchini. So when you cook them up, they don't get as. My favorite things to do with them is to stuff them and Ooh. I'll stuff the tops off of them. And then you use a small spoon to, um, to scoop them out. They don't have as much seeds or as large of seeds as a summer squash or zucchini. So um, it's a lot more, you know, let's say like meaty or something. Um, and I like to stuff them with farro, which Ooh. gives the, cause I just love the nuttiness and kind of like adaptability of farro and how you can you know you can throw so many different flavors to it and it's just it's super it's so good and it's so filling it is and it gives the it gives the filling this like meat like quality without adding 
meat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I cook, I cook the farro oftentimes with, um, diced heirloom tomato, some sweet onion, um, either homemade chicken stock or veggie stock. And then I'll add in seasoning based on, you know, if I want to go more like Italian style and I'll go basil and add some garlic and some Parmesan cheese, or I go more like, I tend to go like a Mexican style and add Mm -hmm. some grilled corn and some black beans and add some chipotle seasoning. Um, And then I stuff the squash and I'll either roast it or grill it. Um, And it's so good. I'm starving. All right, you guys, that's a wrap. I hope this inspired you to do some spring thinking. Is that a thing? Spring ahead thinking? Thinking about spring. (laughs) Warm weather thoughts. Whatever. I need it. So this was a very selfish episode because... I wanted to walk down memory lane and I need some garden inspiration. So thank you for joining me on this adventure. If you have questions for the podcast or want to be on the podcast, shoot me an email. Let's go on a food adventure, gmail.com. Tag me in all of your food adventures on Instagram at let's go on a food adventure. And of course, go to my website for all of the show notes and everything else. ElizabethRFuller.com make some yummy food together this weekend, lead with kindness, and I'll be back next Friday with an all new episode. All right, I'll see you next week, guys. Bye.